It was a red-letter day in the life of Abraham. Now, there had been many other notable days in his life's experience recorded for us in the Bible, but there never was a day like this. Because in this day, a son was born into his home. His boy, Sarah's boy, and God's boy. The boy that God had promised to them both. This was truly a miracle. And for a short time tonight, there are three specific things mentioned in connection with Isaac's birth that I want to draw to your attention. Just for a short time tonight as we come to seek the face of God. The first thing I notice is found there in verse 21. Notice what it says. And the Lord visited Sarah. So here we have the visitation of the Lord. You will notice that it begins with the Lord. And this is a good place for us to focus right now at the beginning of this season of prayer. Let's get our focus upon the Lord. The Lord visited Sarah. Now what, what does this mean? Well, I do believe that it means God's intervention that caused Sarah to conceive. This was the first time this word visited appears in the Holy Scriptures. So was this divine visitation or this divine intervention that ended Sarah's barrenness? Because the first time she's mentioned is in Genesis chapter 30, or chapter 11 and verse 30, and we're told there that Sarah was barren. Now this was a barrenness that affected her physically. But let's think for a moment or two about the spiritual application to God's people. Sometimes we're not always what we ought to be as God's people. Sometimes we grow cold, we become indifferent, apathetic regarding the things of God, regarding times of prayer, regarding times of Bible study and times of witnessing, times of attending the house of God. We become lax and indifferent. And there really is only one solution to that kind of a situation. It's a divine visitation, a gracious intervention by the Lord himself. Now, when you think of the book of Acts, you think of the uh, first couple of chapters there, men who had failed the Lord. And believers do have failures in their lives. We're not condemning these men. We're just learning from them because we can see ourselves in them. They were failures. They were weak. They had succumbed to fear. But yet they were praying. They were praying men and women as well in the first chapter of Acts. And as they waited in the presence of God, what happened? A divine visitation. God intervened. These powerless apathetic and different men were filled with power, revolutionized the world of their day, and thank God, uh, wrought tremendous deeds for the glory of Christ. A divine intervention made the difference. And is that not what we need in our church, this church, our denomination, our own lives, 
Great Britain, Northern Ireland, we need a breath from God, a divine intervention that will deal with our barrenness and our indifference and make us fruitful in the service of God. Because when God dealt with Sarah's barrenness, she became fruitful. I think of uh, 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. Uh, we read there about Hannah. We did a short series on Hannah. She had a problem too. She couldn't give her husband children. She was barren. And she prayed. And God did a wonderful thing for Hannah. He answered her prayer. And uh, before long, she had a baby called Samuel, the gift of God. But then when you move on to the second chapter, chapter 2, verse 21, we read something else, that the Lord visited Hannah. It's the same word, a divine intervention. And as a result of that, the woman who had been visited prior to this in a most amazing fashion, she brought forth three sons and two daughters. God gave her a blessing when he gave her Samuel, but he continued to give her blessing. Three sons and two boys. Five in the Bible as a number of grace. God visited Hannah and grace in chapter 1. And surely again, the Lord continued to bless and intervene in grace. And do great things for God's servant. And this is what God can do for you. This is what God can do for me as the people of God. What about Ruth chapter 1 uh, verse 6? We know the story about Naomi. She leaves her home, she goes to Moab, her husband goes, the two children go. And uh, it's a time of loss and bereavement, sorrow and sadness. And then in chapter 1, the Bible says, she heard something. She heard how the Lord had visited, there's the word again, visited his people and giving them bread. And that divine visitation brought a famine to an end. Is there not a famine in our land? Famine for the hearing of the word of God? Surely there is. Oh, that God would come again and move in power and deal with our barrenness and deal with the famine that sometimes we have in our souls. And may he bring glory to his thrice holy name. On one occasion, it's associated with a boy. Thou shalt call his name Isaac. At this time of the year, we think of another similar text. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. It's all about the boy, you see. Introduction of the boy. The boy made the difference here. The boy made the difference when he came to Bethlehem. Praise be the name of God. He's a wonderful Savior. And he's the one who can turn our captivity. He's the one who can deal with our barrenness. He's the one who can bring an end to the famine and give that increase and that blessing that we so desperately need. So I said here in the case of Sarah, in the case of, of Hannah, uh, that was a boy that was produced. But then in Ruth, it was a divine intervention associated with bread. Oh, we have the thought here of the son who is the bread of life came. We don't know exactly when he came, but he did come. The bread of life. And we are to feed upon him as the servants of God, as his children. We need to feed more than ever upon Christ. So the famine came to an end 
and then there was one added to the family. If we want to see the famine coming to an end and to see children of, brought into the family and fold of God, we need to be praying for God to come and intervene in his mercy and his grace. Then also at this time of the year, we think of Luke chapter 1, verse 35. It was the, the, the message of Gabriel to Mary. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This was a divine intervention. And something wonderful happened. The Spirit wrought within Mary, forming the child, Jesus Christ. God prepared him a body. And then we're told in Luke chapter 2, uh, you notice how Luke describes Mary at this time being great with child. What does that suggest to you? Well, the Spirit of God wrought within Mary, producing Christ, if you like, or forming Christ in there. Now, Christ is within her, and it begins to manifest itself because she's great with child. Everybody knows she's carrying a baby. Now, you can apply this spiritually. The Spirit of God has wrought powerfully within us. He's given us new life. Christ is within us by his Holy Spirit. And it ought to be manifest for all to see. Just the way it was in the case of Mary, the Spirit wrought within her, a deep work within, but it manifested itself. And when we're born of the Spirit of God, it will manifest itself to the world and people will know that we've been in the presence of of God. But it took a divine miracle, an intervention, a visitation. Now, you think about Abraham, he's a hundred. You think about his wife, 90 years of age. You know, it's good to have your children when they're young, you can enjoy them. But a hundred years of age, and 90 years of age, oh, they needed great patience. But listen, they were waiting for this child. They were longing for this child to be given. Now, Abraham can seek to obtain an heir through Hagar, but God's plan cannot be foiled. A friend of a preacher who is in the insurance business uh, once said to him concerning an act of God, the way he described it, in his line of work, it's a disaster over which man has no control. But Isaac was an act of God in a very different sense. He was the result of a divine visitation in the lives of a hundred-year-old man and a ninety-year-old woman, both of whom were far too old to have children. But listen, a divine visitation changed all that. It made the difference. It always does. So there is the visitation of the Lord then there's the vindication of the promise. Now, the birth of Isaac meant the fulfillment of God's promise. It was a striking reminder that God is ever true to his word. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? That God is true to his word? As he had spoken as the keynote of this narrative. Now, three times over in verses 1 and 2, let me just read these Two verses to you. And pick up in the words, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. There's the promise. As he had said. Something he had promised before. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. As he had promised. 
For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. So three times over, the Spirit of God emphasizes the fact that this was all done according to the promise that God had made. So after a long delay, 25 years, the long-awaited-for son arrived and the promise of God was fulfilled. Has God changed? Has God's truth changed? Not at all. The promise of God remains the same. Now, there's a whole series of promises made in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, and Genesis chapter 18. And that series of promises regarding the Son, was all, all these promises were fulfilled when Isaac was born. God keeps his promise. God keeps his word. And the arrival of this miracle son was proof of God's ability to keep his word. And that's something that I learned over many, many decades now, I suppose, that God never fails his people. He always keeps his promise. We can depend upon God's word. I think Joshua made a great statement that not one thing had failed of all that God had spoken to him. It all came to pass as God said it would come to pass. God is faithful. Heaven and earth may pass away, but he says, my word will not pass away. God cannot fail. And we need to realize this. We need to get this into our minds, deep into our consciousness that God cannot fail. He doesn't break a promise. He keeps the promises. He gives promises. And We've got to plead those promises, as we've mentioned on former occasions. But God's word remains faithful and true. Nine months before this, God said to Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a boy. And God said, you're going to call his name Isaac. And it's going to come at a set time. And so it was. And nine months later, the child was born in defiance of natural law. And God had kept his word, and Isaac was born. And it's interesting to note the verse which stands in the middle of the Bible. Now, I haven't counted everything up. I found it recorded in, in a book I was reading. It's Psalm 118, verse 8. Apparently, that's the verse at the very heart of the Bible. You know what it says? You know what it encourages us to do? Trust in the Lord. For 25 years, they had to trust in the Lord. Yes, they had their faults. They had their failures. They had their high times and low times. Overcome with unbelief on occasions. 13 years of silence. Then they stepped out of the will of God. But all through that difficult trying time, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Believe the Lord. And sure enough, here, on this occasion, God suddenly comes in great power and fulfills the promise that he had made. He vindicated the promise. We can trust him. He's our best friend. So for a full quarter of a century, Abraham and Sarah had to await this fulfillment. 25 long years. 25 years of waiting. 25 years of praying. 25 years and then suddenly it was done. 
And it happens so suddenly. And you know, when God moves in response to a promise he's given to us, it will happen suddenly. We may have to wait for years, but suddenly it will come to pass. And we will rejoice and be glad in him. I read this uh, today as well. Apparently in one of her movies, Julie Andrews sang a beautiful song. I've never heard it, but uh, whoever wrote it said it was a very, a very nice song. But its theology is all wrong. I'm just quoting now the song. Listen to it. Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Now, many Christians seem to have that same kind of theology. They believe that the good things which happen in life are the result of some good thing that we have done or they have done. But that's not the case. And so also, like Job's friends, they think that everything unpleasant is the result of some evil that you or I have done. Now, I do not wish to challenge the fact that obedience brings blessing, and ultimately it always does. Don't misunderstand me. However, God often brings tribulation into the life of a faithful servant of God in order to bring growth and maturity. That the child of God might uh, take their roots deep down into the soil of Holy Scripture and then spread out the branches out into the wilderness. Sometimes that's the way God works to develop his people. So God brings blessings into the life of, of Christians, good Christians, in spite of uh, what he has done, uh, in spite of what the Christian may think they have done in the past that deserves some favor from God. It's all because of grace that comes to us. It's not because of our faithfulness. It wasn't because of Abraham's obedience or his faithfulness that this happened. It was because God gave a promise and God kept the promise and fulfilled the promise and gave to a man who was undeserving the blessing of a son. And God has given to us a blessing of a son. Not because of who we were, what we did, what we achieved in life. Because we were all just vile sinners. But he has bestowed upon us sovereign grace. Amazing grace. Tremendous thought. He loved us before we loved him. And here we have in this 21st chapter proof of God's sovereign favor and grace. And then finally, and very briefly, there's the voice of praise. The voice of praise is found in verses 6 and 7. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. Isn't that uh, very strange? Because uh, I've mentioned this before. Uh, when God came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 and told him that he was going to become the father of a son, Abraham laughed. Now, I don't think he laughed in unbelief. I think that he was so overjoyed with the fact, I'm going to become a father, he started to laugh. But then in chapter 18, old Sarah, she laughed at the tent door. That was a laugh of unbelief, and that showed the Lord what she really was thinking in her heart. He knew what was in her heart. And so she laughed. So... Abraham laughs because he's just, he can't take it in. He's, he's, he's rejoicing in it. And, and then Sarah, she doesn't believe that the miracle can happen to her. And she laughs in unbelief. And then God said, now, I want you to call your child Isaac, which means laugh. So God had the last laugh. 
and God gave them both a lot to laugh about. And all the people who heard this, Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90, and they've got a child. Everybody started to laugh. It was a joyful time. And God intervenes in grace and keeps his promise. It will bring joy to the hearts of the people of God. These two verses record the jubilation of Sarah over the arrival of the long-awaited son. And these two verses relate the sheer happiness associated with the safe arrival of the child. Now, you notice in the very last verse of the previous chapter, for the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech. So the woman house during the time Abraham was there, during the time of sin, the Lord shut up the wombs of the woman who couldn't bear children. You cross over into the next chapter, and the Lord visited Sarah, and the Lord opened her womb. And so there's a contrast here. God can close a womb, God could open a womb, but here he's working in sovereign grace. And so Sarah is laughing. Abraham is laughing. All the relatives are laughing. God is laughing. He gave the name. And so she's rejoicing in the sun. And may as we step out into a new year, may we rejoice in the sun. May we adore the sun, worship the sun, God's sun. Live for him as never before. Time is running out for us. The day is far spent, the day is at hand. Coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And even the recent times, the happenings, you know, impress it upon our minds. So little time left. So little time to serve him. Oh, let's be taken up with the sun this incoming year. God's dear son. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and the morning star. Let's worship him. Oh, she was overjoyed with the sun. May we joy in the Son of God. The Bible begins with God. In the beginning, God. The Bible ends with man. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The Bible is God's message from God to man. And its object is to bring men to God. And so the chapter begins with the Lord. The verses that we have closed with ends with Sarah. God had a purpose in intervening in that family to bring Sarah to this place of rejoicing in the son of promise. And may God bless his word to all our hearts for Christ's sake. Amen.